I'd like us to begin this morning with um, um, a very short explanation and a very short five or six minute meditation, just so that we're all here. And then we'll continue on with some more explanation and then a longer period for us to practice meditation together. Lots of times we talk about mindfulness as being the ability to be present moment to moment for a rising experience so that we won't be startled by it, so that we can be there and balanced and in that balanced judgment be able to see what's needed and what we can do that will not create suffering for ourselves or other people. And one of the things that I think about is that the extra ingredient that's needed in that uh, equation, be here moment to moment with whatever is arising, is be here with a friendly heart, be here with a cordiality of spirit, meet the moment, because uh, if we're walking down a street and a stranger pops out, and we're startled, what's gonna happen now? If a friend pops out, say, oh good, What's new? How are you? What can I do for you? To make every moment that arrives somehow uh, feel met cordially so that we don't lose our balance. I like very much to do breathing in and breathing out with an invocation, an instruction to myself, an intention to myself on the inhalation, the exhalation. I say to myself, may I meet this moment fully, that really, may I be here for it? May I really see what's here? May I meet it as a friend? It's just a nice thing to say, to meet the day, to meet the lunch, to meet a class, to meet an obligation, to be paying a fine at the DMV. That's where it's particularly helpful if you're in a situation that is surprisingly um, taxing to the nervous system. May I meet this moment fully? May I meet it as a friend. The fancy way, we'll be talking more and more about traditional practices of loving kindness. And we'll come, we'll come practically, many times I think, circle around to my, may my mind be free of enmity, free of animosity. That's the same as may I meet this moment fully, may I meet it as a friend. So I'd like for you to do that. On, for us all to do that, on the breath in, may I meet this moment fully, and on the breath out, meet it as a friend. Or, if that's a little too rushed, may I meet this moment fully, breathing in, and breathe out. May I meet it as a friend, breathing in, and breathe out. That might be more suitable for the tempo of the work we're doing. So each one gets a whole breath, may I meet this moment fully, there, I met it fully. May I meet it as a friend? There, I met it as a friend. We'll just do it for five minutes. And just notice if you feel a difference, if you like it, what it does for you. Ready, set, go.
Was that hard to do? We'll try it another way. <laughs> Did you like doing that? Did you notice something different about phrase one and phrase two? Did phrase one feel different from phrase phrase two? How did it feel different? Phrase one uh, felt uh, Thank you. I forgot your name. Brooks. Brooks, thank you very much. I'm very happy about that. Phrase one made me feel more alert, and phrase two made me feel more relaxed. And how many people thought similar type things? Did you like one? What did you like that feeling A better than feeling B, or feeling B better than feeling A, or were they the same? bit more compassionate with the second one. That's actually perfect. Thank you very much to both of you for that. What's your name? Mark. Mark. Thanks so much. Because actually, what we are always discovering, what I am always discovering, is that the moment of meeting a friend, the moment of not being just here, but, oh, oh, is I think the moment that I am hoping to feel more and more because I think what it's connected to is really my capacity for compassion, not, not only because it helps the other person, but because it helps me. In any moment of compassion, the other person is maybe helped by whatever I do with being available to them. But I am helped by finding that my heart is tender, that I have a sweet heart, that what we are doing with this is not really just discovering methodically what will work better, but what will feel more giving us life-giving, more connecting us to other people so we're not so isolated. That story that I told you yesterday about uh, the Buddha telling uh, the mother of the child that had died uh, that... uh, to go and find a mustard seed who comes back having found that in everybody's home there is the experience of loss. Always felt to me like it didn't quite finish itself, that story. That the story of the person meeting the Buddha on, uh, and asking, are you a god? And no, I'm not. And are you a regular person? No, I'm not. Uh, what are you then? I'm awake which I'm going to come back to in a minute. I love that story, but I also think that we need to add to it. Now that you're awake, what do you know? I'm always fixing somebody else's story, you know? Uh, I'm just noticing that about myself and thinking maybe that's not so good, but okay. (laughs) Too late. Uh, In that particular in that particular instance where the Buddha, she comes back to the Buddha having realized that everyone's household is vulnerable to loss because that's just what happens to everybody. She bows to the Buddha and becomes his disciple. Uh, I have thought, and you've, some of you probably heard me say in a public place, 
I wish at that point in the story, the Buddha said, let's sit here for a few minutes, and they sat and wept together about her loss, and then she became his disciple. I wish it were a little warmer, but it's so unreasonable for me. First of all, it's a story. It's a story that happened 2,500 years ago, <laughs> passed down by word of mouth, and who knows if they didn't, but um, it sounds really, really like, like, like waking up is clinical, and I want to say waking up, I think, it is emotional. It does touch our hearts. It does make us sweeter. We do react and weep for ourselves. And in the weeping for ourselves, we weep for all beings because everybody is facing the same thing. There was a movie this year about a boy with um, uh, TC syndrome. It was called Wonder. Anybody saw it? It was wonderful, wasn't it? The last words of that film, I'm so glad you all saw it, Try to see it if you've missed it. The last words of this boy who joins a sixth grade class having never gone to school because he was born with a genetic disorder that makes your face look really disfigured so that people always look away. It's kind of, it's a, he comes to school the first day with a, a spaceship mask over his head and he just only gradually is able to take it off and be with people. Spends the year in school, and he enters into the school, by the way, in middle school, which middle school boys are not known for compassionate response, <laughs> so that's even more complicated. And at the end of the movie, everyone is transformed. Everybody stops seeing him as the person with the weird face and starts seeing him as a bright boy their same age that they can study with and play with and befriend and have fun with. It's tremendously uplifting because he transforms everyone with his stalwart ability to be there. And at the end, he gets chosen to give the graduation speech, and he ends it by saying, just remember that everyone is fighting a really hard battle. Not just him, everyone. And I think that's a, another way to say the part of the Eightfold Path that we haven't yet said. The what specifically said, wise understanding. Everyone is fighting a really hard battle. <coughs> My grandfather, who ne couldn't read or write in any language, uh, would say, in Yiddish, he did speak some English, but he would say, after he'd had some big disappointment, Someone he cared about had died, or someone had broken a, 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 an agreement with him, or some. After a big disappointment, he would be upset by it, and then he'd pull himself together and he'd take a very big breath, and he'd say, "It's really hard to be a person." <laughs> so that's the same. Everybody is fighting a really hard battle. It's really hard to be a person. All these things happen to you. That's the first noble truth. It's really hard to be a person. But the Buddha said it a little bit differently. It's uh, uh, the word suffering for dukkha, life is dukkha. It's often translated as suffering, but I think it's um, more um, mm, unsa not satisfying, un unsatisfactory unsatisfactory 
<laughs> I always laugh at that because when I went to grade school, we only got grades of U or S, unsatisfactory and satisfactory. And in my whole grade school, I got one U in the second grade for works and plays well with others. <laughs> and it's 80 years later or 75 years later and it still annoys me <laughs> that I got an unsatisfactory in something. But life is unsatisfying because you, you don't get what you want, you get what you want that doesn't last, you get what you want and it isn't quite what you thought you were getting, you get what you want, it is what you thought you wanted, you are happy with it and it doesn't last. That's what happens. In between, there are birthday parties and wonderful moments and, and graduations and things to celebrate and moments of happiness, but there's a lot of disappointment all knotted through the whole of life. And the idea is to be able to laugh and to cry and to know that it's all not only passing and impermanent, but it's all so tenuous. You don't know when somebody leaves in the morning and you say, I'll see you later, whether or not you will. Every time I said that, as my children were growing up, I found that quite a terrifying thought. But you, it's always true. You don't know when you say, I'll see you later, I'll see you next week, if you will. And what we're really cultivating is the kind of mind that says, that's okay. It's not supposed to be other than that. It's like that. Wise understanding, this is what life is. It's a lot of separations, and we feel badly, and disappointments. We feel it hurts us to be parted from what we love. And in that realization, as I am vulnerable to the pain of loss. So is everybody else. And I think what it does, when I think about it, like I think everybody in the hospital visiting somebody, when, as I am visiting, everybody is visiting someone that they hope gets better, who might or might not. And I feel a kind of a kinship with them because we're both facing the same kind of a thing. I fly in an airplane, and you see, I fly in the back of an airplane where it's all crowded, and it's a long flight, and everybody looks completely in a bad state, and especially at 2.30 in the morning, everybody is in all kinds of odd shapes and holding a child and leaning over and looking agonized. And as I walk back and come back to my seat, you look around and you feel a kind of a kinship with them all and you're moved about them. You know, I don't think, oh, I hope I get there safe. I really hope we all get there safe, that whole. A friend of mine said, um, who was a flight attendant for her whole working life, she said, I can feel neutral goodwill towards a whole room full of strangers. She said, when I get up and say, fasten your seatbelt, I don't mean for just a few people. I want everybody to fasten their seatbelt because we all have to get there safely for everyone to get there safely, for anyone. It's the same way in life to feel as we look around, not just in hospitals and not just in airplanes or places where airplanes are pretty safe after all, but look around on the street, look around on a muni bus, look around anywhere, look around this room. Everybody's got a big world of worries and things going on and in between they have a part of them that can, in this moment, say, wow, when I was walking up this morning, I saw a baby deer behind its mother. That was beautiful. The turkeys made that funny noise as I was coming up. It's good to be alive. 
We have to have a, a world, a, a mind that's able to say, this is what's true, and it's okay. It's okay. I once said to uh, one of my meditation teachers, when I was quite young in the practice, I said, you know, everything is really dying all the time. And he said, yes, that's true. And I said, so sad, he said. And, and he said, it's not sad, Sylvia, it's just true. Then I thought, okay, because I said, thank you very much. But then I, <laughs> then I went out and I thought, you know what, it is true, but it's also poignant and it's touching. And when people, when we, when we, when I am touched, went to the movies the other day and I saw Les Parisiennes. It's a story of the women in France carrying on and running the family farms during World War I from 1914 to 1918. And they get word through the, it's just those four years and things happen, you plow and you reap and you plow and you reap. And some of them get noticed that their person who's off fighting is not going to come home. And you see the agony in their faces. And they have to go out and milk the cows because the cows don't take a day off. And they have to continue to sow and to reap and to sow and to reap. And I have such a feeling of... Uh, uh, it's a made of, of um, respect for human beings. We're so amazing that we can really carry on. And those people in the story, it's a story of course, but I'm sure the story is like how it was. Those people in the story who had a very good heart and were able to stay true to the principles of uh, honesty and goodwill and not making it worse for anybody else are the people who suffered the least. Everybody suffered. But clearly one's own good heart keeps you not without suffering, but maybe without the worst suffering. What we've been doing since yesterday is learning different techniques for soothing the mind at the same time that it keeps it alert. The hope is that with a mind that's soothed enough to not receive the, the truth of the world, the truth of my life, the truth of this moment, hysterically and respond impulsively, is that everybody suffers the best that we can do to re respond to the suffering world is to say, this is what's happening. I like it, or I don't like it, or I'm pleased, or I'm not. But this would be the thing that I could do out of compassion for the world that would minimize everyone's suffering. I could respond just with what's needed, which would take care of me at the same time. It took me a long time, many years, maybe decades, to know that impossible statements like, uh, although suffering is endless, I vow to end it, say, well, you know, how could I? I cannot end the suffering of the individuals in the world, but I cannot contribute to the suffering of all the individuals in the world, and that would be the act of my kindness. Also, it would keep me restored. One's own benevolent heart 
is the most sure sense of refuge that there is. And so really what we're doing in this whole practice, like that man some years ago who said to me, what are we really doing here? We're really cultivating um, a heart of compassion based on a mind of wisdom that says, that sees that really wise understanding is the basis of all this practice, that the first of the Eightfold Path is integral to everything that comes after it and to all the other path parts. So that the meditation is not only sitting here, not only doing the two phrases that we did, or as yesterday we did, really focusing on the breath or open expansiveness about the breath within the body that has sensations and feeling the different parts of the body. Every one of those is an opportunity to refine our attention and our uh, warm-heartedness. Letting somebody go ahead of you in the eating line is an act of cordiality. Uh, (laughs) Finding that the food is not what you actually like, saying a sweet thing to yourself about, sweetheart, you'll be fine, you'll eat the food you like tomorrow, is an act of keeping suffering minimal. Having a thought, what are these cooks thinking about, is, a, is agitating the mind. That what we're doing is we're purifying the heart so that we're more comfortable in these lives. And all we're doing is giving you more different ways to do it. Sleeping in a warm bed, taking a shower. Those are all ways of keeping yourself comfortable. And really um, soothing the mind and keeping it alert. So what has been called a loving-kindness practice, what is called loving-kindness practice, has often been mistaken as a practice entirely different from mindfulness. I like to think that it's another technique for cultivating the mindfulness, uh, mindfulness of the mind. What's my mind feeling now? Are there wholesome states in it or not? As Kanda was saying last night, you see... There's a wholesome state. I feel so pleasantly warm-hearted to all the people in this room. Okay, that's a nice feeling. Let's see if I can amplify it and feel that more. May everyone here feel safe. May they feel happy. May they feel strong. You don't have to know anything about anybody to know that everybody wants to feel safe and happy and strong. Everybody, you don't have to say, that's what human beings, that's what beings want to feel safe and content and strong. And we'll, we'll use those three invocations as another technique for soothing the mind and waking it up at the same time. I think most of all we want to feel safe. And, I, and when I say that to you, we want to feel safe, we've all know, we all know what safe means. But when we do this practice of invoking that feeling in our bodies and minds, I really say it, my instruction to myself when I started to do this kind of use of words practice, is I said to myself, say this like you mean it, Sylvia. Like I'm not really just saying, 
Coca-Cola hits the spot, Coca-Cola hits the spot, Coca-Cola hits the spot. I could get pretty concentrated doing that. That's an old commercial. Coca-Cola hits the spot. It's an old commercial. But it would not necessarily make me feel more safe. It would probably irritate me. Coca-Cola is no good for you. Coca-Cola ruins the teeth, whatever. I probably couldn't stay with it. It wouldn't make me feel good. But may I feel safe? If I said it as a blessing for myself, may I feel safe and really meant it. May I feel safe. If I say that, I already feel a good feeling in my body. I don't feel a bad feeling before, but I say it's safe. My body says, okay, you want to feel safe? This is safe. And it feels a little different. May I feel happy which is what I am currently saying to myself in my practice these days. There's a long period of time that I let that go and I said, may I feel content? Because I, I found happy is a hard word to make work for everybody. Because I, I, it was a long time until I realized that I didn't need to be pleased in order to be happy. That I could be content in situations. I didn't have to be pleased. I'm not content in the sense of it's, a, it's okay what's going on in the whole world. Not at all pleased by what's going on in the whole world, but I, can be sa- I, can, I am able to say this is what's happening as a result of conditions, and it will change by conditions, and I will do everything I can to change those conditions with a clear mind. I like to say to myself, may I feel safe, May I feel either content or happy. Why don't you choose one or the other? And may I feel strong. I like that a lot. That in classical practice, you say, may I be healthy. Um, and uh, at some point in the last 30 years since I've been doing that practice, it became clear to me, even maybe even from the beginning, that I'm not going to be healthy until the minute before I die, unless I'm in an accident or something, which could happen. But may I feel strong made a lot of sense to me. It referred to my physical body. And I'd like to think about when at the end of my life, if I end my life, as my friend Rachel is ending hers one day soon now, and I'm limited to my bed and limited energy, May I feel strong enough to open my eyes and take a sip of water or smile at my friends. I want to feel strong in that moment. Or to say, good, take good care of yourself. I loved you. Thank you for your, my life together with yours. That's what I mean with the strong. May I be able to meet this moment. It evokes for me my grandfather saying, it's very hard to be a person. you got to be strong. <laughs> And sometimes people choose two phrases and sometimes people choose four phrases. Sometimes people have more phrases. Sometimes people change the phrases. They put extra words, different words. All of us are probably doing different words. Uh, so I'm, I'm just suggesting that we all do those words right now just as an exercise. So many people are new and just starting. We'll do it and we'll talk about it and we'll have some questions about it. But anybody has a question before we start? We're going to do that now for, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes maybe. So what you do, 
You can do it on the breath if you want. May I feel safe. May I feel happy. May I feel strong. May I feel safe. May I feel happy. May I feel strong. May I feel safe. May I feel safe. May I feel happy. The the uh, point I am making in these last two sentences of telling you just how it is, is I mean to say, may I, I'd like you to continually, continuously say those phrases. In a, it is mantra practice, saying for a phrase over and over again. It's mantra practice with a particular intention in it, and it's meant to incline the mind in the direction of feeling safe and in the direction of feeling content and in the direction of feeling strong. When actually, when I say to myself the words, may I feel strong, I actually find my body sits up straighter. May I feel strong. Ooh, okay. Strong. May I feel safe. Okay. May I feel happy. Who knows what comes up. You don't have to rush. You don't have to say it that fast. You can say a phrase and wait a little bit and then say the next phrase. So say them continually means don't do anything else. It doesn't mean say a million of them or you get more points if you say it a lot. Don't just, just don't do anything else but them. Anybody else have a logistic question, a technical question? Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, one should sustain this recollection. That's a line from the Metta Sutta. So sustain that recollection for the next... Uh, 20 minutes.
in five minutes we'll stand up, but I want to use this five minutes to hear from you how that experience was. And since we're a lot of people, I'll ask some general questions like, uh, how many people found that pleasant? How many people looked like that? Everybody sat, calm. I forgot to give one very crucial uh, instruction. I forgot to say smile. That's a very important instruction. How many people at any time during that overall pleasant experience um, had a moment of thinking, I need something? Be good if I had a better chair. Be good if I had a bigger pillow. Be good if I'd slept last night better on my bed. I should have worn looser clothing. That would have been more comfortable. I need something that would make me more comfortable. How many people had a thought, uh, I don't get this. I don't know that this is a meditation. How can you just wish for one of these things? Many people had a thought, I don't like this so much. I like the kind with not so much instructions. I like the kind where people aren't telling me what to do, what to say. I'll figure it out myself. Anybody had a, a verse of thought about anything we were doing? That's great. No, a couple of people had. That's great. How many people felt sleepy? <laughs> it happens. You're slept in a, in a new kind of a place. You're not used to the bed. You're not used to the toilet down the hall. You put so much information in your mind yesterday, probably your brain couldn't relax itself very well. People feel sleepy. People on long races run, 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 and then every once in a while they walk for a while to gather up some strength. I think particularly when we're sitting in here, I never worry about falling asleep. Sometimes I fall asleep up here for a minute or two. <laughs> It, but, you know, so far I haven't fallen down. So I, nobody falls down here usually. You fall asleep. Sometimes I think about it. I look at my people over here and I think, I wonder if they're sleeping or they're in some deep state of meditation. But you stay that way a little bit and then your mind wakes you up. You just, it's just gathering up. To, you know, like on a, on a TV when there's, there's a video that isn't well done or something and it has to stop periodically you get a circle winding 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 and then it plays more i think the brain is something like that it's working 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 and then it's just got to take a break and you sit there and you're asleep a little bit and then you suddenly wake up oh here i am how many people thought a worried thought I'm not sure that I sent all the emails I should have. I didn't respond to so-and-so. What if this? What if that? What other calamity could happen? Who knows what the news is these days? I'm used to checking. A couple of people. Who thought to themselves something self-denigrating? It was really stupid of me to pick this kind of a retreat. <laughs> you know, it's too short. It's too long. I should have really plunged in. How many people thought that? I should have taken a Tai Chi retreat. That would be more calming and alert. This is, I'm falling asleep. So if there's something that's the matter with me, I chose wrong. I should have sat in the front or the back, whether this or the that. So those are five types of mind states that are default states of the mind. Either it's present and it feels safe and alert, fully aware of what's going on, balanced, or it loses its balance a little bit 
too much or too little or it doesn't like something that's happening. And if it's balanced, it, it realizes, ah, I wish I had a sweater. Um, but I'll put it on next hour. Okay, I'm still here. Or uh, I wish I hadn't put on the sweater to be sitting here. I'm too hot. Next time I'll figure out in the morning that it's going to be hotter after breakfast than it was before. It's very easy to be diverted from present and alert and content and just seeing what's happening without side commentary. The constant comment goes on. All of those things and the, the fancy words for them is chelations. Uh, that's a really fancy word. The English translation of chelations are the hindrances, which is a funny sounding word. It's the early translations from the Pali, I think. A hindrances is something that, uh, in a sense, it does annoy being steady. But I really think what they hinder is clear seeing. While I'm thinking, well, next time I pack for the next retreat, I'll take a five-day retreat, and I'll take all kinds of clothes for all kinds of weather, and I'll sit in the front so I'll hear better, and I'll skip the last part of the evening so I can sleep better, or I'll get up earlier... But the mind during all of that time is just strategizing and planning. It's not saying, here I am, let's see what happens next. Which is my favorite line, I think, in the whole... I don't know, I have a lot of favorite lines. I'll probably say three more favorite lines before this hour is up. But my friend Gil Fransdahl, my colleague and friend Gil Fransdahl, said the definition of equanimity is the ability to say, this is what's happening now. Let's see what happens next. I totally love that. Because when I think about it, and it's some unpleasant thing that's going on, or that I think is going on, I say to myself, this is what's happening now. Let's see what happens next. And what it does in that moment, it's not just a sweet thing to say, is it reminds me that there's a next. That this is not necessarily a foregone conclusion that it's a calamity going to happen or that it's all over, or with, you know, with, with any political move that happens in this country, you think, well, this is it, now, from now on it can't get better. How do I know? This is what's happening now. Let's see what happens next. So I'm glad for the fact that you found that sort of use of words to incline the mind pleasant, because we'll do some more of it today. It's all mindfulness and they're all techniques to soothe the mind and wake it up so that it will develop wise understanding and from that will come um, uh, a more and more habituating the mind and heart to thoughtful kind, compassionate response, which is what we want to do, which is what this is all about. So use the next uh, 13 minutes to get up mindfully, carefully, attentively. Do whatever you need to do to stay balanced, keep yourself comfortable, and come back in 13 minutes. The bell will ring in here in 12 minutes so that you can, if you're out there, come in. Someone will ring the bell out there five minutes before that so that you can all be standing in your places.
for the next period of time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.